James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdly, on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. And welcome, my friends, to the Saturday morning radio extravaganza here on WABC. If you would like to be part of this morning's presentation, 800-848-WABC is the number to reach us, 800 848 9222. Looking forward to speaking with you. We have a uh, waiting to see whether Derek is going to join us, Derek Hunter. Uh, Also, he's here. Good. I'm glad you're here. Also, later in the program, we're going to hear from Princess Di. Can't wait to hear what she wants to uh, speak about. America's small caffeinated mom, Rhonda Schrock. Of course, Norm Layton is here. Just heard him doing the news. The gang is all here. Derek is here. Yay. Happy New Year, Derek. How are you? I'm doing well, James. Happy New Year to you, too. You sound still a little bit under the weather. How are you feeling? Man, please. I can't. My ears are still. This is two weeks of no hearing, which I I don't know how Rush did this, to be honest with you. He was totally deaf. I'm not totally deaf, but my hearing is uh, my ears are blocked, and they've been blocked for almost two weeks. And this is beyond belief. It it will it, you have to calm yourself from going nutty. You know, it's like this is weird. Does everything just sound muffled? Muffled, like you, you, and you then got, you hear your own. Like your ears are popping, but you haven't popped them yet. Right, right, exactly. Like you've been in a pressurized plane, but they won't, you know, clear out. And I've had, you know, of course, doctors and stuff, and so we just deal with it and move on. But uh, yeah. So how was your how was your uh, Derek how was your, your your holiday your Christmas the kids enjoy it and the New Year how was everything It was wonderful the kids enjoyed it they got stuff so that's pretty much a low bar but uh, that's their bar if they get stuff they're good so it was it was nice now I'm just kind of hoping that we actually get some snow we're only possibly waiting on come to New York one to three inches send some of it down here you know these things can still shift it hasn't started yet. But now they're saying maybe one inch. Come on, man. I miss snow. I have a nice hill in the backyard for sledding. We're ready to go. I never liked. I I did when I was a little kid. After that, the fascination with snow wore off. About the time that I had to start shoveling it. Of course, when I was a teenager, I made money. You know, I was one of those kids that. How much did you charge a house to shovel? shovel I don't even remember. I think, you know, back then it was like. Whatever you wanted to give, um, oh, you know, no, that. you knock bucks. on the doors, five, five bucks. bucks. And then there was every once in a while, there was the people who expected you to not only, you know, I, I'll shovel your porch, I'll shovel your walk up to the house, I'll shovel your walk up there, I'll shovel some of your driveway. They wanted it all the way to the garage in the backyard. That was a pain yeah. in the butt. Because it's a, kind of a volume business, and that just eats up a lot of time. Yeah, well, I used to, you know, I used to make, I used to make some serious money once in a while going out and shoveling snow. Oh yeah, and, and of course, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, and your parents tell you, you know, and and they don't have to tell you, you know. We had some elderly neighbors, and so the first thing you do is you go do their walkway first, and you don't take money for that. You just mm. make sure that they can get out, and then you go out and you make your money. So, but last yeah. year we didn't get any snow. Like barely, I don't remember any snow last year. It's the global warming, baby. I want some snow. Yeah. No, it's cold weather. I want some weather. I want some winter weather. I want some. I grew up in Michigan. I'm used to snow. And when there's nothing quite like 
When I lived in uh, I lived in downtown Baltimore and we got what is it like eighteen inches one time and then we lived near DC when we got thirty two inches. I was driving a Mini Cooper at the time. The snow was over the top of the the Mini Cooper. That was terrifying. Getting on the freeway, it's just there's you can't see anything. It's just like all right, well here we go, and uh, it it's so quiet. What I love about a good snowstorm, when it's not windy, can't be windy, is after the snow is falling or while the snow is falling, if there's enough of it on the ground, most people are at home, the cars that are out on the road are muffled because the snow is not, uh, it absorbs the sound rather than reflects it back and outward like a concrete does, and it's just so quiet. People walk down the middle of the street, you can shovel a giant pile of snow and jump into it butt first and make a nice recliner out of it, as long as it's not windy and it's not above freezing. And you can sit there and you just won't get cold. It's very comfortable. It's just, I love it. I love it. And I haven't had that for a while. I'm, I'm waiting. I'm Jones. Yeah, that, you know what you talk about, the silence. One of the things that I used to really appreciate, uh, of the few things that I would appreciate, was I used to call it the blanket. Snow would just put a blanket on the community. It would be like this beautiful when you go out, the air is crisp after the snow, mm-hmm. and then you walk out, and there's this 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 beautiful sound of silence. Yep. Because of the blanket, and uh, those are you know, but I don't miss snow. So, uh, my idea of you you know what my idea of the best snowstorm is. The best snowstorm is me watching it on TV from somewhere <laughs> with a nice <laughs> tropical breeze. <laughs> it's just. Oh, man. Well, you don't have young kids, man. There's nothing like putting your kid on a piece of plastic and shoving it down a hill. You know, I have have young nieces and and nephews now. In fact, a house was full of babies, uh, three babies, and then then the five-year-old. And so it was, was, man, it was noisy, kids. And and I I love that part of it. But, no, I don't miss it. I don't know. Uh, okay, Derek, today we are fortunate to be here on... It's the darkest the Anna- day in American history, James, and we probably thank should, you. should open a beer that, just thank to you for opening. Out. Thank you for opening up with that racist comment. That's, that's, it's the blackest day. <laughs> it's the African-American's day in American history. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's the day that we've lost more police officers than ever, except no police officers, literally no police officers died on January the 6th, 2021. Um, but God, these, I, I just cannot be more disgusted by the way that the Democrats are acting by the way that the president, I didn't watch the speech yesterday. I just saw snippets of it and I read bits of it on social media and it's just, it makes me want to say things that, uh, you don't talk about in polite society about this guy. It's it's just unbelievable. He's the president who's going to bring us together. Remember that, James? He's going to bring us together. He, oh, he's the only geez. one who can I don't unite ever us listen to that crap. With those freaking you know, Nazis. I I, oh, and I don't care whether that crap comes from Republicans or from Democrats. When yeah. people start talking about they're going to bring the country together, I'm like, yeah, well, you'd be the first. Because the country has never been together. I want to vote for the guy who's like, I'm going to piss off the idiots. You know, that's <laughs> right. I'm gonna, I'm, I refuse to unite with the morons. In fact, I'm going to spend most of my time annoying the hell out of them and doing things that will make them uncomfortable and unable to sleep. That, that's that's my guy. Well, that's it sounds like we have your guy already then. 
<laughs> no, well, because all Republicans have to do is exist, and they've got they get that from Democrats. Someone somewhere, somebody Michael Stipe and uh, Michael Stipe disease. They're tossing and turning. Some liberal going. There's a Republican out there somewhere. There's a Republican out there somewhere, and they can't get to sleep. Well, okay, so it is as as you opened up the darkest day in American history. It's a bunch of uh, okay, but before we do the dark days. The, from the dark continent of America, um, let's talk for a moment about Epstein. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't laugh because these are very serious allegations. Um, but is it anything that we didn't already know? I mean, the guy had an island that was nicknamed Pedophile Island. We know that. I'm not laughing over that. Well, that could mean, mean any number of things, though. That's that's why someone like Joe. No, God, I don't get. Look, first off, let me just say that watching the reporting on this this week, if I'm one of these people mentioned, even with the caveat, eventually, of these are just people casually mentioned in these things. It doesn't mean that there's any allegations of wrongdoing. I'm suing because the implication, it's the wink and the nod. Like, like it's like saying O.J. Simpson is not guilty of chopping two people's heads off, and you just give a big old wink. Because legally, technically, from a criminal standpoint, he was found not guilty. But we all know that he was covered in blood as climbing over the wall outside of Kato's flop, Kato's flop house. We all, but legally, if you say, O.J. Simpson, murderer, he could maybe sue you. But he's too busy looking for the real killers. But it's that same sort of thing. Where they're like, David Copperfield is mentioned in these documents. And you think, well, every name mentioned in these documents is a child rapist. That's not the case at all. David Copperfield performed magic at a dinner that Jeffrey Epstein attended or whatever it was. Like, that's a little bit different. But they don't give those details very often. Bruce Willis' name was mentioned in there. Okay, but how? How was it mentioned? That he attended a party that Jeffrey Epstein also attended? Because that's kind of... A little bit different. If one of the girls is saying that the celebrity so-and-so raped me or violated me or whatever, that I want to know, that there was a 200-person party somewhere and uh, there was a picture taken or somebody met a celebrity. That's a little bit different, but they always say there's no uh, evidence and nobody's accusing these people of wrongdoing. And there should be like a parenthetical, yeah, right, we're kind of doing that. Because, not because they believe that they did anything wrong, it's because they know that it gets clicks, it gets ratings, and that's why they're doing it. It's disgusting. Somebody should really sue because of the what they're implying about these people. So I saw in one of the uh, press uh, stories about it, I saw a picture of Michael Jackson, and of course that's... Well, we know he wasn't Derek. out there molesting young girls. That's... That's bait for Derek Hunter. So <laughs> he was so leaving I the young said, girls alone. So I wanted to get so I wanted to get a good read on it before I talked to Derek Hunter because of course knowing that's mentioned Michael Jackson that's Derek Hunter bait. So I actually read through the article and finally got to the part of Michael Jackson. And 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 it went something I'm paraphrasing. Michael Jackson was at Jeffrey Epstein's house in Palm Beach. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, a young lady that was there at the time said nothing untoward happened. Right. And that was it. That's it. Nothing. Nothing. 
That's the problem with this reporting. But the headlines are Michael Jackson mentioned in the least. Lots of people knew Jeffrey Epstein. He was a power broker on the left and a money guy doling out cash. And, and you know, if you just came across some, if you're a normal person, you come across some multimillionaire or billionaire who's like, hey, let's go to a party. Hey, well, I'm going to go to L.A. Want to hop on my private jet with me and all that sort of thing? It's highly seductive. You go, hell yeah, I want to do that. I'm job, I jump on just about anybody's private plane. But that doesn't mean that you are or were involved in the evils that he was involved in. But and the implication now, that they, they do that deliberately because they understand that straight up honest reporting, that doesn't, who's going to get excited about that? Who's going to share that on social media? But if you imply it you got to walk that fine line of accusing without accusing plausible deniability however that said you do have quotes the bill clinton well we know bill clinton liked them young or whatever it was bill liked them young bill clinton was screwing around with monica when he was an intern that's about as bill clinton likes them young is about as shocking as saying the sun came up in the east today yeah, she was the intern. Um, and, and, and that wasn't the shocking part. The shocking part was how he was uh, with the cigars and so forth. Well, you, um, do you use uh, steel from my friend <laughs> Kurt Schlichter? He, Monica, was, uh, he used her as a humidor. Yes, he used Monica Lewinsky as a humidor. That, to me, is still the most shocking part of the story. I mean, can you imagine ruining a good... Anyway, um, <laughs> that's the out. Oh, and I'm I'm problematic. I'm the problem. You are the problem. Yes, you I are. Anything. You just <laughs> you're up. Okay, your show. And I don't want to get the station fined. <clears throat> okay, but but okay. So there was a little implication there today. There's a headline: Hillary Clinton named in. Well, she's named in a technical way, but the, but. Well, she but should be named in the documents. The She's probably the last is, thing he ever said or saw was as she was choking him out in that prison oh. cell. Uh, 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 that's Hillary. I voted for you. Uh, go on, go on. <laughs> the last thing that was uh, was mentioned in this little uh, blip about Hillary Clinton was that the Clinton Foundation may have been involved in shoveling some money over to Epstein. And see, this is the part of this Epstein investigation that I think, uh, look, these news stories, the salacious part of it, fine. But there are some serious questions. We still don't know how the guy made his fortune. Thank you. Number one question, how did he make these billions of dollars? Number two question, who exactly was the recipient of some of this money? And because usually there's the move to, oh, yes, well, I took money from him, but I gave it back, or I'm donating it to charity. Yeah. So, okay, so let's go through the list of those people that that Epstein actually gave money to. The story surrounding his death is still one that deserves attention. How does it happen that you're in a federal lockup and you don't have cameras working, you have people that are not doing their jobs, and no one's really held accountable and a guy that wasn't suicidal all of a sudden ends up sounding like another Arkansas. Okay, these are questions that haven't been answered, and that should be answered. Then you get to the human trafficking. 
Apparently there was, and he was, even with what's been released now, he was trafficking in underage girls. Now, uh, uh, Derek, I raised this the other day when I was talking with Andrew Giuliani about this. To me, there's a little bit of a, a, a... How are you, as a teenage girl, getting on flights, going overseas with some guy, and your parents don't know, no adult knows, do you have a passport? How does this work where where you are a teenager, a teenage girl, underage girl, and all of a sudden you you're in this world with this billionaire and there's there are no checks and balances anywhere? I don't understand this. On a large scale this happened. You had stories today he was trolling, he had his driver trolling for girls, which, by the way, reminded me of what we used to hear about Bill Clinton in Arkansas and how he used to use the state troopers there. That story came out from David Brock before he turned into a liberal mm-hmm. way back in the day. So, I mean, there are a lot of unanswered questions with this Jeffrey Epstein there, There's stuff. a series of, uh, I would imagine, I would guess, my opinion, only some some seriously bad parenting. Don't you just have to kind of assume that there's some serious bad parenting going on there? I can tell you right now, within five feet either way, where my kids are. And pretty much most of their life, so granted it's only been six and five years, but I could do that. I think my right. parents could do that. My parents, they always kind of knew where I was. They didn't necessarily know what I was doing when I was a kid, but they knew where I was. And yeah. if I'm 16 years old and... Eh, you know what? I'll see you maybe Tuesday. There's going to be some issues there. I I wouldn't have even said, you know what? I'm going to just disappear for a couple of days because I knew that my dad would disappear me forever after I turned back up again. You know, eventually I'm going to have to come home for a change of clothes or something. And my dad is going to beat the hell out of me six ways from Sunday. At some point, you kind of, I mean, it's obvious what Exactly, that's, did, but that's what I'm talking did, about. Where the hell are the parents? Look, ex- that's my question. Look, I, I, I mentioned to Andrew Giuliani, when I, was, when, I was seven, when I was a teenager, I had an offer to go on tour with a rock and roll guy, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, so I go home and I tell my parents, I, guess what? Guess what? I can go on tour. I can be a roadie with Bubba. My parents are like, and um, they didn't say this, but they it was pretty much this. Listen, dumbass, yeah. you're not going on the road with anybody. You can do lots of things. What you're going to do is different. And then when I was a little bit older, I tried to have my first night at a college. I had a, a, a friend at a college, and it was Away from home. A lady so friend. I I've heard this story before. Yes. And my parents came and got me. Yeah. It was the most humiliating freaking thing. I was so mad at them. They're like, no, you're not spending the night at a college with a girl. Forget about it. And so I'm saying to myself, how do these young girls, I can't even go to a college in the next state. And these girls end up in the Caribbean on pedophile island? With some billionaire and nobody knows? For months on end, apparently. Like, they disappeared for a long time, or they get the phone call, like, all right, I'm going. And, like, I didn't 
grow up rich. I don't understand the mentality of people who are just maybe they uh, they just disappear. Maybe that's how it is. I don't know. Maybe there's a certain income strata where they're like, you know what? The help will take care of the kids. I don't really have time for this. I'm off to Geneva for whatever reason. I can't understand it. Maybe it happens, but I would think, I'd like to think that your parents would notice that you weren't around uh, for a while. I would hope so. Okay, so we have to go to a break. And um, uh, Debbie Duhane, my dear friend, who is also my uh, language police, has has warned me that I should reel in the cigar talk. Um, Deb, Deb, listen. I am only reporting on this the facts. I didn't do it. Your president at the time, Bill Clinton, is the one who used that poor intern girl as a live humidor. I didn't do it. See, I think that's my, and that by might the be way, what she's talking about. That might be what she's warning about. And by the way, not only that, do you remember what he left on her blue dress? And that's all. And he was elected and then... <laughs> and then re-elected. So, and no, we no, were no, he told was re-elected we... before we knew about the dress, and before we knew about Monica. That came out after, but it caused. Oh, Derek ruining my good story. It would have been good anyway. In 1990, on this day, Phil Collins started a three-week run. He had the album, but seriously, it was his fourth. Solo album. Phil Collins on WABC. Derek Hunter's here. Your call is coming up. 800-848-9222. WABC. Saturday morning radio extravaganza. On this January 6th, the darkest day in American history. Crime running rampant in New York. You need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYC. The Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. I know who this is. Hey, F. Britney, this is the who, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, there, Frick Nick, you're playing the who? Why are you playing the who, Mike? What's going on here? I can't hear you. You're talking to yourself, Mike. Turn on your mic. Can I just say I for still... the record, your British accent is terrible. I know. Screw you. It's, it's not British. It's Australian. It's awful. It's... Might as well you know be what? Canadian. 
Now that's an insult. I meant it as such. I do impress upon you the truth in the hope that you never do it again. No, I'm going to keep doing it. Everybody who heard that you were deaf at the beginning of the show is now wishing they were with you. <laughs> this is what I get. Okay, Derek, let's talk Claudine for a minute. Yeah. You feel bad? You know, you conservatives pushed her out. That's what I'm reading. I do feel bad. It's, it's you It's you conservatives that did that to that poor woman. Her I have, have a dream this, speech is you, one of the most formative moments of my life. And to see her go down like that was... To uh, see her do what? I said her I have a dream speech was one of the most formative moments of my life. What I have and, a dream speech? But the one that she... Uh, I, I don't know. I read it. So she wrote it. it was, uh, I have a dream that one day... I. It's a joke, and you just pooped all over it, James. Good job. Thank you. She plagiarized everything. No, she's terrible. She's awful. You know, <laughs> you, you, one oh, of the things I get I the joke. I'm sorry. I'm dumb. One, one of the things I want to point out about Claudine Gay, are we allowed to yes. say that? Is, are we supposed to call her Claudine homosexual? I'm not really sure. Um, one thing about her is all the defenders, Yes. one of them are saying she didn't plagiarize. That's what, bingo. Not one of Hello. them. No, nobody out there going, She's not guilty of these things. They're saying it doesn't matter, or they're not even addressing the fact. They're saying uh, a bunch of racists ran her out of a job. And how? Why? Why? Oh, because they're racist. But what was it? It had to be some motivation. They're just racist. So what? Racists kicked the door in like Donald Sutherland in the 1970s remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers and pointed at her going, ah, because she's black and then she resigned? Is that it? Is that basically the gist of what you're saying? And, uh, you know, I, I, it, it's ridiculous. She shouldn't have had that job. I'm not sure she was qualified for that job. I believe I've written more academic papers in my career than she has. You and, have, Derek. That's the problem. Yeah. She, they even keep pointing to the fact she had a thin, she had a very thin record as well, that's an just academic. Fat shaming. That's just fat shaming, James, and it's wrong. And well, still, it was thin, and she yeah. never had published a book. Nope. I mean, Derek, for goodness sakes, you've had books. Yeah. Well, you know? I'll take the job. What's funny is she's so, I, I mean, let's be honest. She is a victim of racism and oppression, and I wish that I were so oppressed that I would have to, you know, recoil back to my $900,000 a year job from which I can't be fired thanks to tenure. Did she teach, what, one class a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays with office I couldn't wait to Tuesdays? see the class she's going to teach now at Harvard. What racism. Racism and the new racism in America or well, something yeah. like that. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be uh, nailing yourself to a cross 101. It's going to be great. It's like home carpentry except in the name of oh. politics. Oh. But here's the thing that I hope comes out of this, and I could be, um, I could be wrong. But I hope that somewhere in this discussion of what has happened with Claudine, notice nobody gives a damn about the white lady that was told to no. get out of her job. She's like, we okay, can't. you're fired. Goodbye. Good riddance. Bye. Well, she's, she's gone. No one cares. No articles about her. No, no one's like, oh, the conservative first this, forced this white woman out of her job. It's like, ah, so what? You're a casualty. You said the wrong thing in Congress. Get out. And so, with, but Claudine, there's article after article after article about how conservatives did this to her, 
And I don't understand because there were no conservatives on Harvard's governing board. And she resigned. That's who she called resigned. her. She they called her and pre- they pressured her. They called her. She was on vacation in Rome. And they called uh, the, the, the head lady at the, uh, at the Harvard governing board called her and said, uh, Claudine, uh, do you see a path forward with your presidency? <laughs> and that's when she knew. Do you see a path forward? Uh-oh, I better resign and get good terms. So she resigned. Now, these people weren't conservative. This is after 40, 40 allegations of plagiarism. Almost 50. It was 40 more than 40. More. It was the new 40. There had been 10, and then came 40 <laughs> more. 40 more cases of plagiarism. And they said, uh, uh, Claudine, uh, baby, do you see a path forward for your presidency? And I better get out now. Get the money. And so she, and she's still teaching. As you said, she still has a $900,000 a year job. Can I just ask a question, James? Because this is one you of the things. You can ask I, anything. I've seen a pattern, uh, not a complete pattern, but a pattern of the people, uh, let's just call them African Americans who are, make their money or make their name or make their bones or whatever, preaching the Al Sharpton gospel of everything is racist and everything is horrible and it was mm-hmm, systemic, mm-hmm, that and the other mm-hmm. A lot mm-hmm. of them are married to white people. Derek, you are moving into de- where, uh, uh, stop it right there. Stop it right there. I just I, you I, are, I, is it a stop kink? it? Like I don't know. Stop it. Stop it. Just you are ask, moving. I'm just no, questions. not allowed. You are moving into territory that will get us both hung up on that proverbial cross. Okay, <laughs> do not go there. I'll be the one. You'll be the one in the center, though. <laughs> well, that's a, I like symmetry, so yeah, put me right in the middle. Frame me properly. I'm just Derek's honestly, honestly, I'm just wondering because I, I I looked it up. See, I thought I, you were going to ask be me. Perfectly a, honest with you, I Claudine thought you were going to maybe it was my assumptions about her last name and her hairdo. But I thought, okay, she if, can't if help she, her last name if she's going to ch- check. I knew, you know, I was like, how many boxes in the progressive hierarchy of victimhood does she check? And uh, so I was like, is she maybe homosexual? And so I looked it up and was like, no, she's married. Like, oh, okay. What's her husband do? Oh, he's this guy? There's like a 100-pound soaking wet white guy who teaches at Stanford. And I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> All of her academic right Now, he's 3,000 miles away, so maybe that helps the marriage. But... Like all of her academic writing to this point, and it's not that it's a lot, but nineteen of her, her nineteen papers are all about how whitey's keeping everybody down. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Maybe she likes to be kept down by whitey. I don't know. I'm just asking some questions there because it just seems weird to me. You look at Kamala Harris. She's made a lot of, uh, you know. She, she made a lot of the same arguments. Come on, Derek. Preach it, baby. Preach it, She Derek. made a lot Preach of the it. same arguments. Yeah. And granted, you know, where she ended up is not how she got started on, in, uh, in politics with uh, Willie Brown. Willie Brown. And, uh, God, there's so many jokes that are wildly inappropriate that I want to make that I won't. But, you know, Doug Emhoff. But who admits it? But who admits that? Who admits that they... That they... <sighs> 
I okay, just think anyway. It, like, just like, it, hey, it, systemic racism, it oppresses people, you can't get ahead, the system is rigged. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, it, you you beat the system then. How is it, are you special? How is, if the system is anywhere near the way that these people who are preaching about how evil and oppressive the system is, if it were anywhere close to that, how did they beat the system? How, their, your, their own life story blows the hell out of their narrative. And it, nobody looks at what it and I goes, wanna... God, and that's Barack Obama talks about systemic racism. Elizabeth Warren talks about systemic oppression of minority. Not that she's really a minority, but she played one on TV for a long time. And, uh, and a woman, like, oh, man, the system is rigged against people. She talks about her humble beginnings, and now she's got tens of millions of dollars. The system, are you super special? How'd you get past the system? Why is it? And nobody wants to ask that question. Nobody will answer that question. But it seems a little bit weird. It seems kind of relevant that if the system is designed to keep people like you down, how the hell do you get to be in the halls of power and filthy rich? Derek Hunter. James Golden, it is the Saturday morning radio extravaganza here on WABC. Yes, indeed. 800-848-WABC-ELO takes us in. Coming back with your telephone calls on a few things. More Derek Hunter, more James Golden, most nerdly. More Saturday morning. It is January 6th, the darkest day in American history. Welcome aboard. Nice to see you again, sir. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. 1950s, 1960s, 1970s, 80s. This man was one of the most incredible artists ever, Lou Rawls. Of course, Derek probably never heard his albums, uh, the early ones, the, because they were jazz. Don't screw it up. And You'll never but, find <laughs> You'll never find As long as you live Someone He did the uh, telethon, didn't he? Yes, he used to do the telephone. Yeah, he did the Budweiser commercials. Oh, what, do they all look alike or sound alike? Yeah, they all sound alike. They all sound like their ears are plugged up. Of course, he did the the Budweiser commercials, too. 
But, but Derek, what I was going to say is you probably never heard a lot of his early albums because they were what you don't like, jazz, yeah. and also and also blues. It's not that and I don't like it. It's that I have You hate taste. jazz. It's that I have taste in music. There's a difference there, James. It's that you don't know music, which Look, is the difference. We all know but that we you don't have jazz to go through this. and you have a Kenny G tramp stamp tattoo, and nobody no, judges No, first you of all, I never, I, I've never even played Kenny G. Nobody judges so you over that. Don't even go Look, there we're with not me. Gonna, okay, I'll let you claim that. Okay, I'm not going to argue with you. Sure, sure. Okay, and Kenny. please, 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 please. I didn't say I didn't like him. I just have never played Kenny G on the show. Mm-hmm. Kenny G has done well. Look, I, I, I have, I'm not a hater. I like all music. Musicians who do well, I applaud their success. Mm-hmm. Even some of these young people that are not really doing music, I still applaud their success. Okay. What? what? So do you, like, drug dealers, you're like, you know what, I don't appreciate that you're muling in a bunch of coke into the country, but I do admire the opulent no, use in of terms gold of the, in the, as uh, drapery. Look, I'm talking about these music industry guys that, Made their living sampling other people's stuff that don't yeah. even know music. No, they're, they're, but, they're like know, Weird Al without the originality. They just they're, okay. they're less originality than Weird Al. They take existing music and they just rewrite it in a way that uh, makes it completely different. Weird Al's at least doing a parody. They're they're just going. I don't know how to make sounds, so I'll just rewrite the songs. They're not even rewriting it. This is software. Anyway, Lou, Lou Rawls. The reason we were playing that anniversary of his death today. Died at age 72. He sold more than 60 million albums. He released at least 60 albums. Sold more than 40 million records. And he was just an amazing artist. I go back. I remember my mom listening to Lou Ross when we were kids. And that's the first time I heard him. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you go back and you look at it, it's like the Wilford Brimley rule. People are aging different. Maybe it's the preservatives in the food that we eat. It's probably killing us earlier, but... It's 72 for Lou Rawls. He looked older by today's standards. Most people, you look at Wilfred Brimley in, in Cocoon, and he was like in his 50s or something, and he looks old. Old. Yeah. And then you go, he had like 40 more years in him after that. And you're like, wow, that because you think of people you know who are 50 now, and you think there's no way – they look like Wilford. They look like Wilford Brimley's grandchild. And well, you know, there's a lot has to do. We, we have great surgeons these days too. Um, you had work uh, and, and people take care of themselves differently. But you know, I'm glad you mentioned about the food. There was a report this week, Derek, and this is not for the day. But I, I do want to talk to you about this one day. One day we'll find a chance. That I want in front of me that Consumer Reports just did a, uh, a, a survey, and what they found is that there was a lot of plasticides that are finding their way into American foods. Yeah. And when you look at the way that the, Europe, the, Euro, the Europeans handle their food and the way that we do. Now, I'm not one of these people. You know me. I'm, Derek, I'm not a Europhile. I've never been, oh, we should be more like Europe. Especially, no, I don't want to be like one of the surrender monkeys or, or one of the... Uh, I, I don't. I've never. But they serious. They are serious about their regulations concerning food and what the public should expect in terms of the quality of food. 
And I don't think in this country that we are anywhere near as serious about it. No, and we not. have all, and, and, and that's one of the things that I would like to see. I know, conservatives, you're not supposed to ever call for more regulations. Oh, that's terrible. But I don't think that the Europeans have it wrong when it comes to dealing with food. I think no, they actually have it right. Things only, no, regulation willy-nilly is what conservatives are against. There are certain things when only the government can do it, that only the federal government can do it. Then, I mean, the Constitution is pr- kind of designed that way, where only the federal government can do it, then the government can step in. And this is one of those areas. What I find disturbing is we just keep throwing things in there. It's bizarre. You've got, oh, well, you want your laundry to smell, but how much time do you spend smelling your laundry? But you want to add little tiny particles of plastic in there that'll then be rinsed away and then out into the ocean and eaten by fish. Like I think we had clean clothes before. We had little plastic smelly balls that we could put into our laundry and uh, make them smell fresh. How about you just make them not smell? That's what I. That's all I want from clothes. Like I can't put that on. That doesn't smell like what the uh, chemical companies tell me is fresh scent. I don't want it to smell like fresh me. I don't want it to stink like my armpits. And you take that away, and I'm perfectly fine with it. But we have such a weird relationship with food in this country, James. That we are, you know, you, you sit there and you you watch old comedy, you watch old movies. And people are scarfing down everything. And they're like, you keep eating. There are kids starving in Japan. And now it's like we've got so much food that we're putting it in in soap. We're putting it in hair products. We're putting it in, in everything. We've got lemon pledge. Okay, you're wiping dust off the table. Why do you need lemons in there? Because we've got so much food that we're just throwing it in everything. I can't wait for steak pledge. You just throw it down there, and all of a sudden your, your coffee table smells like a ribeye. Like, we have so much food in this world that nobody ever stopped to wonder, you know, what are we eating the right kinds of food? Are we eating the good kinds of food? What are we putting in our foods? And Let's I, go to the phones, Derek, because time is running quick, and Adam has been holding, and he, it will ruin his day if he can't speak with you. All right. Adam from Mineola, you are up next, first today. Hello, Adam. I can't Good wait morning, to hear what's Adam. on your mind today. Good morning, Adam. Adam. How are you? How are you, Adam? Yeah, you know, I called yesterday. I was on the phone for an hour, and all of a sudden, when you was talking, my phone wasn't working. I'm like, like come on, what, what did y'all do to my phone? Just so I couldn't get on. You you know, Adam will probably it? call me tomorrow. But anyway. We didn't know. do nothing to your phone, Adam. I did. Okay. All right. Anyway, how come Mr. Dallas and Mr. Snurdly? Yes. How come there's more pictures of Trump and Epstein than Trump with his son, Barron? Explain that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you really want to get into it, there's more pictures of the two of them together than there are pictures of him and Melania in the last three years. But that's irrelevant. That's beside the point. If you notice... They're all at public events. There's that picture of Bill Clinton getting a back massage from that uh, youngish-looking girl at a private airport. That was with Epstein. You know, there, there's like three pictures of Trump and uh, Epstein in uh, at public events at galas you know what, and Ep- things like that. Whereas Bill Clinton was kind of hanging out with him. Hey, Adams, have you ever seen yes, that picture sir. of Bill Clinton in the dress in the blue dress? Have you ever seen the, the picture that was hanging in Epstein's? 
and Epstein's one of his layers with uh, with Bill Clinton in high heels and a blue dress. Have you ever seen I've that? I've never one? seen that. I've never seen Adam, that. You should find that. You should find that. You it's need funny. to go find that picture. You also should he, ask, you know, about George Stephanopoulos when a guy gets out of uh, house arrest after having been convicted of uh, whatever. It wasn't quite pedophilia, but it was it was a plea bargain down from pedophilia. And George Stephanopoulos, the chief political guy over at ABC News, goes, oh, Jeff's out of prison. He's back in New York. Let's have a dinner for Jeff. Congratulations. It's like saying, well, you know what? Ted Bundy's out on parole. And it has been a while. And, you know, he probably could go for a steak. Let's have a Ted Bundy dinner. Yeah, okay. Adam, I, I don't think you made your point. That, There's a with lot this, that of people, wanted. if you're going to say we're uh, with done. Jeffrey Epstein, I will uh, okay. say that Trump banned Epstein from Mar-a-Lago because he was hitting on an underage girl. So uh, I don't think Bill Clinton could do that. Bill Clinton said, did you get her number? Did you get her number? What else you got, Adam? Uh, you keep talking about Hunter Biden. Could you talk yeah. about the eight million that Trump made while gladly, he was gladly, gladly, Let gladly. Let me take this one. Let me take. This oh, one. okay. Go ahead. Go ahead, please, Derek. Uh, these stories have been floating around for all oh, eight million. Trump is worth you know anywhere from eight hundred million to ten billion dollars, depending on which financial filings or whatever the. Oh, uh, Governments from foreign countries, they said $8 million. They weren't checks cut to him. They were checks cut to the businesses that he owned. They were, they were good cash for services. Unlike Hunter Biden, where we're like, why is this person sending Hunter Biden a million dollars? We know why the Saudi government was paying Trump International or Trump Incorporated, because they were renting out hotel rooms. There's a huge, huge difference. And, oh, by the way, he had ceded control of the company to his children at that time. So he wasn't directly benefiting from that. But if you think you can buy a billionaire for $8 million, uh, you're crazy. You're crazy. It's just like, you know what? I, I have more money than I know what to do with. If I ever get broke, I could just sell a golden toilet and live off of that. But you know what? I'm going to risk humiliation, impeachment, and prison to get pocket change. That's just ridiculous. All this is is Me Tooism to the extreme. Because It's amazing the people who are reporting this have spent less time, no time really, reporting on Hunter Biden and Joe Biden and their fortune, but they are crawling up the colon of Trump Incorporated because they need to cover for something. Stevie Wonder takes us in. Thanks, Adam. Gotta go. Break time coming back with Derek Hunter, James Golden. I am Bo Snurdly. It's our Saturday morning radio extravaganza, 800-848-WABC. This is from the Univisions album. She's a girl in a dream. She's a four-eyed cartoon monster on the TV screen. She takes another puff and says it's a crazy scene. This is the Saturday Morning Radio Extravaganza. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. Xbox was blowing up. Princess died. Lisa, what a joke. She, uh, uh, Diana sent me the, the text from uh, Eric Trump, and Lisa... 
confirmed the story. What a joke. All foreign government profits for stays at our hotels and other properties while my father was in office were voluntarily donated to the United States Treasury. Eric Trump posted that on X, Twitter. Derek, where can people find you, my friend? My house. Don't come over, though. Uh, <laughs> Patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast or uh, Twitter at Derek A. Hunter. Uh, Townhall.com four days a week and thehill.com one day a week. and everywhere. I'm, I'm the American Express of punditry. I'm everywhere you want to be. That's right. And the Christmas tree, I take it, is still up in your house, Derek? It is, but I think it's going down today. I think if we do it right, but that doesn't mean it'll actually happen. That would be my desire, but I don't think it'll actually happen. There it is, coming back with our number duo after we check in with Noam Latham and the news on WABC Talk Radio 77. It's our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Keep it right here. Nerdly on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. Welcome, my friends, to our number duo here on our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. If you would like to be part of the program, 800-848-WABC is the number to call. If you are on hold, stay there because I'm going to go to phones soon. I want to talk to Noam first, as we always do on Saturdays, catch up with Noam Layden, WABC News Director. Noam, that story you did with the uh, the Alaskan Airlines flight. By the way, they've grounded all of those, all of that fleet of planes. They say they're going to check and make sure that this was. I, I guess what they're making sure this was a one-off, and there's nothing structurally wrong with the planes. But I remember, Noam, and maybe you do too. Spot maybe ten or fifteen years ago. The same thing happened on a flight. I, I want to say it was somewhere in Hawaii or something like that. And it turned out to be a metal fatigue. It turns out that the, the, um, there, there was a, um, because the flame, the planes have been flying that particular plane for so long that the metal in the structural joints had fatigued and a section of the plane blew out. Now I read that, uh, this one, the window blew out, but then and that caused the whole section of the plane to to blow out where this kid was sitting. Thank God this kid did not get sucked out of the plane. But when, when the plane depressurized, of course, people don't. What a scary thing! Yeah, you know, give like high fives to the crew because you can imagine yes. how panicked people were when all of a sudden this just chunk of plane and go look at it. It's up at WABCradio.com. The chunk of the plane just flies out and there they are, you know, because people pulled out their cell phones, of course, thankfully. So we get a bird's eye view of what's going on and, uh, masks come down and people put the masks over so they can breathe. But, um, and within a very short period of time, they were back on the ground in 
Portland. And that kid, you're right, he was right in the aisle where the window blew out. His shirt was ripped off from just that moment of the air sucking things out. Uh, phones uh, were taken, uh, people that had stuff on their trays. That went out the window. But it is amazing that no person went out the window and that they were able to fly this thing and land it. Just four minor injuries. And when the passengers were getting off the plane in Portland last night, every one of them talking about how calm and collected this airline crew was and that they said they were the saviors in this moment. Wow. That is an experience that I know people will never forget. That is just some kind of scary. Uh, let me talk with you a minute about what's going on in New York. We've got snow coming in, um, and you just said it's not expected to hit the five boroughs. Uh, but we're looking at some of the outlying areas, New Jersey, upstate, um, a little bit upstate. And this could be one of the first significant snowfalls in, I think, something like 700 days or something like that. Yeah, right. You go back to the last time there was more than an inch of snow in Central Park was February 13th of 2022. So, wow. Yeah. And so we've really been snowless for a couple of years. Now, you're right. Here in the city... You may see some flakes, but they're saying it's just going to be a slushy mix. It won't amount to much. The sanitation department says they're all over this. They're going to do some salting ahead of time just to make sure, and the plows are ready to go if some sort of significant snowfall happens, but they don't think that's the case. So you'll have to go to, like, Westchester County, Rockland County, uh, northwestern New Jersey, like West Milford, to see real snowfall, and they'll get, like, three to five, so not even a lot there. The real intense part will be really the upper Hudson Valley, where they could get, like, 10 to 12 inches. They could get really socked. Now, they're more used to that because they do get more snow than we do here in the city. So in the city, you know, people really want to get hit because we haven't been hit in so long. They want, you know, especially a weekend storm where you can kind of just sit back and enjoy it. Unfortunately, here in the city, that's probably not going to be this one. Ten inches of snow doesn't take into account the drifts if there are wind. So if you're talking maybe anywhere, even five inches of snow, by the time you drift it out, you could be talking about a significant amount of snow in some locations. Yeah, well, in that, those areas that are going to get likely get hit hard, they've been hit hard the last couple of years. I mean, they didn't they didn't have snowless winters. They actually got snow when we were getting rain during those storms. They were getting snow, so they're kind of used to this thing. In fact, we were talking to somebody who owns a grocery store up there, and of course, great for them because people go in and shop out everything out of the grocery store because they know they're going to be stuck at home. And they said, you know, this is the drill we go through all the time. It's no big deal. Cool. Now, I must ask you about a story that happened this week, and I'm sad to say that I laughed. Um, I did. I laughed, and I could not stop laughing. And it's pathetic that I laughed. I understand that. But Eric Adams, Mayor Adams, issues a big executive order. He says, okay, we're done. We're done with all these buses from Texas, and we're going to put limits on these buses. We're going to stop these buses. Buses, they have to tell us when they're coming to town. They have to give us three days' notice, and they can only come on this time and this time and this time. And I guess Mayor Adams figured out, I guess we're going to fix those hillbillies down there in Texas. We're going to fix those redneck Texans. We're going we're gonna to stop those buses. So what did they do? They started sending the buses to New Jersey and dropping people off at the train. <laughs> Brilliant, right? <laughs> 
And you know what's great about this story too is not only did they like mess up his plan because he thought, oh, I have this. We are going to stop buses. Which, by the way, it's not even clear he'd legally be able to do this because buses are allowed to roll into New York City. You can't really necessarily stop them. But uh, he thought he had this brilliant plan where they were going to fine buses, first of all, these bus companies. So they thought they might intimidate them with that fine. And even furthermore, they wanted to intimidate them by suggesting you keep coming. We'll confiscate your bus. We have the right to take it from you. So then they say, OK, forget it from we won't. We'll just put them into New Jersey to like places like Secaucus, which is right outside the city. And we'll put them on trains and we'll get them in on the trains. And they started to do that. And, you know, what, what was amazing is and this was kind of underreported was what we were told it was there were people on the train platforms in new jersey when they saw these buses coming that new jersey transit police this is what we were told actually were on the platforms because they were like wait a minute we don't want the migrants in new jersey we see what it messes in new york they were there actually pointing them with signs to where to go to get a train to go into new york city so they were helping them so it wasn't like they were just dropped off at the train station in Secaucus. Because, by the way, the most confusing train station on the planet is the one in Secaucus. So, like, even if you speak English, it's difficult to figure out where to catch a train. So they said, no, we're going to help you. <laughs> we're here. Uh, you get off the bus. Here you go. That train right over there will walk you right on. That one is the one that goes to New York City. Get on it. And about 99% of the people who came in on this bus, it was like 1,200 in a couple days, were on those trains into the city. That is hysterical. Yeah. Well, right now, the mayor has a new idea. He's going to sue the bus companies for $700 million, he says, or something like that, to cover the cost of what the city has had, parts of the cost of what the city has had to pay for uh, these illegal immigrants, for the immigrants. Now, I don't know how he's expecting this to roll out. But this, to me, makes absolute zero sense. It is not the fault of the bus companies that people have entered America illegally. And I don't know how all of a sudden you make bus companies responsible for a surge uh, of illegal immigrants into any city. Uh, I just don't see this as being a rational plan to deal with it at all yep governor let's just talk about how brilliant governor abbott has been in this whole thing right i mean you can't you can't say enough about how he made this a national story and he was right right i mean people will say look why should this this migrant problem just be texas's burden especially when you have these cities across the country that are sanctuary cities like new york and chicago and los angeles and san francisco let them take on some of the burden and then he started bussing them and guess what now it became a national story i can tell you we did plenty of newscasts here over years where we never talked about the migrant mess of the border because you know what it you know Unless it turned into some huge day, it didn't really it didn't feel like it affected us. Now, of course, it's a huge story. Thanks to the governor of Texas. He said, wait a minute. Uh, If the White House is not going to fix this, not going to help us, if lawmakers in D.C. and Congress can't come together to come uh, come up with immigration reform to stop this porous border, then I'm going to have to do something on my own. And he's done a lot of other things, of course. But maybe the most brilliant move is putting migrants on buses and saying, hey, now it's your problem, too. And, of course, now it's become a much bigger issue that everybody's talking about. It used to be just a 
issue down south that we kind of paid attention to. Now, now it's in our face because they're here. They're living here in New York City. There's another aspect to this, too. I saw a picture earlier this week of one of the lineups where uh, some of the migrants uh, were lining up for services. And uh, what I discovered is that there, many people are of the belief that these migrants are just coming in from uh, Central America and from Mexico. That is not the case. Many of the people that have come in through the southern border are actually people that have paid, in some cases, I was reading a story, their life savings to come through Mexico, but they're coming from African nations. They're coming from other nations around the world. And they're spending their life for their life savings in some cases to get to Mexico so that they can enter the United States through the poorest border. And some of them now that are in New York have become extremely disillusioned because what they're saying is they bought into the Hollywood version of what life was like in the United States. And now that they are here, they are finding that there aren't the jobs, that this isn't the place where you come and immediately you have access to the kind of wealth and opportunity that is portrayed in the movies. The real life in America is a lot tougher than many people had thought it would be. I just, I just find this, it is, it is, there are so many aspects to this story, and some of them are just really heartbreaking. They are, and you're right about that. You have people from all over the world who said, you know, it was the president about a year ago, or maybe it was a little more than that, who kind of signaled when he was talking about the policies of the Trump administration, um, that the border was open. I mean, and, and so, some people say, hey, blame the White House for giving these people the idea that if they make it over the border, they'll be taken care of. And if they make it to New York City, they are taken care of, at least for a period of time. Uh, you know, if you're a single man, you have 30 days and you have to reapply but um, and you have to wait in line. And sometimes those people don't have homes for a period of time until you know, or a place to live until the city finds room for them because they've just run out of room. Uh, but it is, yeah. The dream of what you see, you know, watching TV or the Hollywood movies, obviously, isn't the one that plays out. Uh, the argument from people who are pro this, because there are, you know, <laughs> there are people who say, I'm pro-immigration, I'm okay with these people coming here, is that they say, in the long run, the majority of these people who will get here will be productive citizens once they're able to get work and that they won't live off the system. That's their argument anyway. Um, the mayor, of course, trying to make it faster so these uh, make it the process faster so these people can find jobs so they're not on the dole and they're not the city's not paying for them anymore or you know in some cases what he's doing of course is busting them out of the city to other places because sometimes they get here and they're like it's really cold and really awful in new york city where else can you send me and he'll be like okay here's your one-way ticket to los angeles and san francisco it's warmer there and you know what not only is it warmer in san francisco now uh governor newsom has decided that he is going to give free health care to the illegal uh, immigrant population. And, of course, the rub in that is that it is not just Los Angeles. It is not uh, just uh, San Francisco and California that pays for all this. There is federal money 
that is also going to be applied for this. So this move by Governor Newsom to offer free health care, another goodie package for those who cross the border illegally, is going to impact the American taxpayers. I just don't know how this is sustainable. And I, I just wonder, this guy, I thought he was going to be running for president, boy. I can't wait till I talk with Princess Di later about this, because this is, I don't understand this. I don't, this is a real problem. I don't see how any of this is going to resonate. We are in the 2024 presidential election season right now. I don't see how any of this resonates with anything good for the incumbent administration. No, this is an issue they're going to have to deal with, and they're trying to. In the case of Governor Newsom, look, his argument is giving the free health care to these migrants, instead of having them show up when they're really ill at the hospital and have these problems that cost taxpayers a lot more money, if we give them health care, it's the same argument of giving people who live here already free health care, is they won't wait until they're incredibly sick and about to die to show up at the hospital. They'll actually maybe go to a doctor on a regular basis. And in the end, the American taxpayer pays less for that than those moments when they show up when they're really ill at the hospital. That's part of his argument. Whether you buy into that mm-hmm. or not, I don't know. But that's his reasoning or some of his reasoning for giving the free health care to the migrants. But, of course, then you have regular Americans who say, wait a minute, I can't afford the premiums I'm paying right now. Why am I not getting free health care? Exactly. And, by the way, that leads us to another issue because we were told that the health care curve was going down when we signed on to Obamacare. And it doesn't seem to have. But that's another story for another day. But uh, it seems that health care is still one of the big issues in the political spectrum. And perhaps I think it will be for years to come. Noam, thank you so much as always, my friend. It is such, such a great thing to be able to speak with you every week. Appreciate I feel the it. same way. Thank you very much. Norm Layton, WABC News, ladies and gentlemen, coming back, we're going to take some telephone calls later on, on our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. I cannot wait to hear from the ladies, Princess Di, America's Princess of Policy, and also Rhonda Schrock, America's Small Caffeinated Mom. Oh, one of my favorite Herbie Hancock songs, I Thought It Was You. WABC Talk Radio 77. If you're on hold, stay on hold. We've got some great calls. I want to get to the phones when we get back. And there is other news. This is the darkest day in American history. It is January 6th. Glad you're here with us. Together we can get through the dark time. The Stones, baby. 
on WABC Talk Radio 77, Miss You. 800-848-WABC is the number to reach us here. We are going to head back to the telephones again later today. Princess Di will join us later today. Also, America's small caffeinated mom. All right, let's head back to the telephones. And Rocco from Saratoga, you have been standing by for quite some time, and thank you for your patience. What is on your mind this morning? Good morning, Bo, and I'm glad to be with you on WABC. Yes, General uh, hey, you and Derek make the beginning of my day enjoyable with the wit and wisdom that you impart and the truth. You tell Thank it you. like it is. Especially like on this, is. especially on this, the darkest day in American history. The darkest day on the darkest continent, the Americas. That's right. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Yeah, democracy rules here. Don't tell me that you... Democracy you, is in uh, danger. Apparently you didn't hear your president last night. Oh, no. No. Donald Trump. Donald Trump. Democracy is in danger. Oh, if he gets in office, it's a threat to democracy. Never mind the fact that our borders have been overrun now for four years. That's not a threat. Never mind inflation is running through the roof. That's not a threat. Yeah. Never mind we have lawlessness in every American city. Did you see did you see the guy that was being sentenced out in uh Las Vegas? This guy is being sentenced by a judge in Las Vegas. He didn't get the sentence he wants. He literally flies through the air. He does a Superman move. He no. jumps over the I'm not kidding. He jumps over the defense table, jumps over the, the the bench knocks down the judge, starts beating her in the face. Whoa! whoa. I'm whoa, not whoa. kidding. Where's the, uh, where's the bailiff? Where's the bailiff to control it? They all it? came to try to get him off of her. And, and this guy is unrepentant. Right now he says he was trying to kill her in the courtroom. Oh, Seriously? In the hey, courtroom. Wow, that's how bad it is, huh? That even in the courtroom, you got to fear for your life. Unreal. And the judge, the judge, to her credit, showed up for work the next day. But this is just, yes. But it's insanity. What is going on in in, in places in this society? Of course, you still have these smash and grab lootings going everywhere. You have this lawlessness everywhere. And and Joe Biden has the nerve to go to Pennsylvania and talk about how democracy is in danger if Donald Trump is elected. And if these MAGA folks, if these MAGA people get their way, it's going to be the end of our republic. These people are. Yeah, yeah. Listen to this. Last week, the first time in beautiful downtown Saratoga Springs, New York, we had a first smash and grab. They Lola's boutique. They smashed the window. They stole over a hundred thousand dollars in expensive uh, purses and accessories. The lady is devastated. That's her life savings put into this business that some jerk morons came and destroyed 
in, in, in one minute. Now, even this, here mm-hmm. in beautiful downtown Saratoga, okay, that's how mm-hmm. bad it's gotten. That's how this, bad it's gotten. This lawlessness has spread throughout the country. You cannot go to any part of this country right now and pick up the newspapers there and not read about some act of heinousness that has occurred. And these and, and, and for Democrats to continue to try to fear, and Donald Trump uh, actually responded to the Biden speech, said this is basic fear mongering. Yes, it is. But if anybody's paying yeah. attention to what well, is happening to, to the news, fearful. we know where the threat is. And it's not from Donald Trump being reelected. Yeah, you said it, Bo. I did not listen to that depends-wearing bozo. I don't listen to him, all right? So I missed his innate speech. I'm sure it was totally imbecilic, but they write these for him, and he reads them off the teleprompter. He can't think anymore for himself. Come on. This is all scripted. We know where this is all leading. He's the puppet of the Obamas and the Clintons. They're just pulling the strings. They're just pulling the strings, and he's just a puppet and always has been. So that's why the Democrats can't win. We don't want Obama or Michelle to be president again for a third time. Oh, no, Michelle. Obama or Michelle. Oh, boy. Yeah, I've been hearing about – do you – let me ask you the question I have to ask. Rocco, do you honestly think that Michelle Obama is going to – uh, uh, has any chance of becoming the president of the United States in this cycle? Do you do you think so? I hope not. I hope not. Because but like do I you said, think... it's a third term for the Obamas, and you see what they've done with a puppet there in the White House that they control. All right? Oh, no. Yep. No yep. way. Okay. Hopefully. Thank you for holding, Rocco. I appreciate it. Let us go to Robert in Suffolk County. Robert, you're on WABC. How are you? Good morning, James. Uh, okay, so far, I'm holding our country folks together. Yeah. Now, you know, you know uh, Nikki Haley's answer? Yeah, about- Nikki, asked, Nikki Haley was asked online about the causes for the Civil War, and she did not mention slavery. She said later on she thought that was a given and blah, blah, blah. And then she went on uh, yesterday, when was it, yesterday, the day before yesterday, and she had to uh, tell everybody that she had some black friends when she grew up. So, you know, yeah, she's good. Yeah, she's walking it back. Nine ways to Sunday about how she blew it. Now, what this shows is Katanji Jackson was the first one with a, an agenda that she was taught in school. Okay. What I'm not woman? following you here. How does the Nikki Haley thing relate to Justice uh, Katanji? What the kids are being taught in school. Okay. Katanji Jackson didn't answer the question because she didn't want to offend transgenders. Right. She didn't answer the question about is a man a man, is a woman a woman, what makes it. She's, yeah, she let that one go. Right, and now right. you have Nikki now, Haley. Now you have Nikki Haley. In her, Interesting. In her case, it was a 
that she was taught this revisionist history. Well, look, come on, give Nikki a break. Communist educators. Look, look, Robert, give Nikki a break. Nikki had black friends, okay? So doesn't that, isn't that enough? I mean, isn't that enough for you? She had black friends when she grew up. Uh, no, it shows that. But it should be. From it Gen be. X. It, it, it from should Gen be. X. And, and uh, she may have even had, she may have even had friends of other genders, too. We don't know yet. But, That's you know, but, but, but that should be enough. It should no, be enough. What they're being, it's what they're being taught in school, how they're being indoctrinated and brainwashed. Well, they could go to Harvard. Educators. MIT. Yeah, I got your point, Robert. Thank you for the call. Appreciate you. It's time for the morning dance, ladies and gentlemen. We are halfway through the Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Okay, everybody's got to get. Why is he sitting? Um, everybody has to get up. Every thank you. Come on, bro. I know you got some moves. Let's see your moves. All right, here we are. It's halfway through the Saturday morning radio extravaganza, which means it's time for Spyro Gyra. This is where you shake it out. This is where you rock it out. This is where you groove it out. Do a little bit of dancing with us. The Saturday morning dance on your Saturday morning radio extravaganza here on WABC Talk Radio 7. And yes, you can dance at home. We see you. We feel you. And if you have some black friends, if you're not black, you can invite your black friends to dance, too. So, Nikki. WABC. <laughs> Talk Radio 77. The Morning Dance... And us. And we'll be back. If you're on hold, stay on hold. Your call's coming up. 800-848-WABC. WABC. Doobie Brothers, bring us back in. Long train running on WABC Talk Radio 77. That train originates in Secaucus, New Jersey, barrels into New York's Penn Station, and off. The train come migrants, many migrants, headed to a better life in New York City. Thank you, Governor Abbott. And it's not just Abbott, by the way. They have, you know, Biden is still shipping people around the country. 
and we don't know how much has ever been spent. We do not know. There is so much hidden about this whole the whole movement of migrants across the country and has been hidden with this entire administration. Remember, they were flying them up to Westchester in the dead of the night. People forget, some people forget that. You know, we talked, Noam Layton talked about that plane that, that dropped in, in Portland, the Alaskan Airlines flight. There's another story about Portland. And um, it isn't, okay, let me just put it like this. Before we get to this, if you're eating right now, if you're having your morning croissant, if you're having your morning scone, hey, half brick knit, do you eat scones? I'm actually not a big fan of uh, scones. How can you be half Britain not like scones? I love tea. I love biscuits. I love all sorts of uh, other British biscuits. confectionaries. But, uh, you know, oh, scones I like are that just word. a little... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Flavorless. Confectionaries. Confectionaries. Yes. I like the confectionaries. Okay, you like the British confectionaries. You like the biscuits. For sure. Yeah. Every morning. I actually, you know, I just finished my cup of tea, but uh, I usually have it with some biscuits. Yeah. Tea and biscuits. Hey Nick, what are crumpets? A crumpet is uh, it's it's kind of similar to a scone. A lot of these things like scones, biscuits, English muffins, they're they're kind of just variants of like a biscuit. You know, it's it's you know dough, kind of salt, you know, flour dough, and kind of like a round biscuit form. It's not too different from what you'd expect in like a you know southern cooking biscuit. Maybe maybe drier, so, less flavor. <laughs> so I haven't had a crumpet. I don't know whether I've had a crumpet before, but I understand you people eat crumpets, tea and crumpets, and all that stuff. Do you like corgis? Come, come again? You know, like your oh, queen, the dogs? your late yeah, queen. Yeah, for sure. Oh, corgis. Have you been watching The Crown? I'm, Have you, you ever know, watched? I, I, as, no. a, as a dual citizen and a former, you know, resident of the UK, I don't really care much for. Uh, the uh, the royal family or any sort of fiction centered around the royal family. I, I I will say though I do love the queen's corgis. My mom works at an animal hospital. We have pets at home. I love corgis. And you don't like the royal family? Yeah, it's just kind of boring. I'd rather watch like Game of Thrones or something. <laughs> but that is the royal family. But okay, never mind. Okay. Anyway, half Brit Nick. Thank you. Um, there was a question that I wanted to ask you, and I was completely gone from my consciousness because you just blew my mind talking to the only Englishman who doesn't appreciate the royal family, which, you know, fascinates most Americans. I have not been fascinated with Harry and what's-her-face, the Merkel girl or whatever her name is. I mean, they're, they're boring to me, but some of the other stuff, you know, okay. Okay, oh, oh that's how we got onto this. Because I was about to tell people about a story that's happening in Portland, but I wanted to tell them if you're eating to just, just before you, don't eat while I'm doing this story. Just take a quick second, because this story is kind of, yeah. Okay, Portland. <sighs> Remember when Portland, Oregon was seen as like this city on the hill? It was a beautiful place. And people wanted to go to Portland. It's like, oh, if you're ever out in the in the upper northwest, you have to go to Portland because Portland is such a beautiful city. Well, they have liberals have ruined Portland. Here's the latest news, ladies and gentlemen, from Portland. 
Portland, Oregon is grappling with a cluster of highly infectious illnesses that spread through fecal matter and puts the city's large homeless population at high risk. While we are currently seeing an increase in Shingella cases, and I hope I'm pronouncing it right, I'm not familiar with fecal cases, but I think it's Shingella, S-H-I-G-E-L-L-A, Shingella, Shingella. While we are certainly currently seeing an increase in Shingella cases in Portland metro area, the risk to the broader public remains low at this time, and there are no measures for most folks to take at this time. The best we can do to prevent both respiratory viral illnesses and diarrheal illnesses is to keep practicing good hand hygiene. That's what the uh, Deputy Commissioner of Health out there told Fox News. But this disease, I can't even read this, and, and this is in medical language, but I can't even read it because it turns my own stomach. I don't know what it would do to yours, and my stomach isn't easily turned because I've been reading news every day since I was a kid, and I thought I've seen everything. But anyway, this latest disease, which has to do with fecal matter out in Portland that's spreading like the plague, can be spread through sex. Think about that for a moment. Drinking contaminated water. How does this get into how does this get into your water? Changing diapers. Well, I mean, we can understand how that can happen or caring for someone who is sick with the illness. So if you're caring for them and they're sick, you can pick it up. Now, in Portland, these cases have rocketed by 131%. (sighs) Homeless individuals in Portland have accounted for the large portion of those infected according to Oregon's public broadcasting uh, outlet. Okay, here's the least offensive paragraph in this that I will share with you. Again, if you're eating, stop for a moment. You may want to. Shingella spreads when one person's infected poop gets into another person's mouth through food or water. From objects or surfaces with Shingella bacteria on them or during sex. It spreads very easily. Even a very small amount is enough to make someone sick. So, if you're planning on visiting Portland, be careful what you touch, be careful what you eat. Be careful what you put on your in your mouth, on your hands. In fact, the best advice maybe is to just not go to Portland. Just just scratch Portland off the list right now. It's like this is one of those things you've been warned. Why would you go there and subject yourself to perhaps coming down with this this kind of third world nation? 
disease business. This is what liberals do to cities in America. Poop and mouth disease. It's just, it's just. <laughs> we got to take a break. We're going to come back. Uh, 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 half Brit Nick, we're going to take a break. I can't do this. I can't. I need to regain my composure here. From tea and crumpets to poop and mouth disease. WAB, if you're on home, stay on home. Your calls are coming up. WABC Talk Radio 77. Don't go away. The Saturday Morning Radio Extravaganza. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. WABC Talk Radio 77. Time to head back to the telephones. Let's go to Sal in Staten Island. Sal, thank you for waiting. How are you? Hey, Bo. Happy New Year. Good Thank morning. God bless you and yours. As usual, you do a great job. And I'm going to give you a rapid fire on the weekend. Al Sharpton is just as much an enemy and a rebel rouse and a race baiter as the Ku Klux Klan. Where was he when those two young girls from Latin South America were stabbed by a, a black deranged man? I don't care what the color of the person is. Deranged people should be put away and criminals should be put away for life. Also, I'm going to bring up something else quick. Uh, here on Staten Island, Adams, Williams, Hochul, Schumer, Harris, and Biden want to house able-bodied young men of military age, some with gang tattoos in their teens, 20s, 30s, from countries who hate our guts on Fort Wadsworth, America's oldest still-running U.S. military installation. I believe more than a few of them are our uh, Trojan horses, it's a real, it's like you said before, the world's gone nuts. America used to be the leader of the world. What happened? And in conclusion, with this big snow coming in, let's keep uh, in our thoughts and prayers the homeless American-grown families who are out in the elements and the American veterans who are out in the elements, God help them, 60, they comprise 66% of the homeless men and women in America and 13,000 American veteran suicides Two every hour, there'll be six dead, God forgive them, by the time your show is over in a couple, in a couple of hours. And let's remember, $13 billion that Eric is gonna, Adam is going to spend on illegal invaders, and not $13 billion, and not one cent to build and establish a New York City managed, run, supervised retirement home for American veterans, the richest city in the world, New York, yet the only major American city doesn't have one. God bless America. Let's pray for the return of the Israeli citizen hostages, Italian citizen hostages, and American citizen hostages, and the crushing of Hamas and all evil. And God help the free world because democracy is sinking. Be safe. God Christ bless you. Keep up the great work. Love you, Bo. Thank you, Sal. Daniel, in a New I don't have to add anything. Daniel, in New Jersey, you're up next. How are you, Daniel? Yeah, I spoke to you before, I guess last year or whatever. January 19th uh, is coming up, and that's when the uh, Eskimos up in Barrow, Alaska, will see the sun for an hour, about an hour and a half. And I just hope you make a notice of it and um, <clears throat> tell the people how that's connected to uh, Groundhog Day and 
it's global warming, which is called springtime, I guess. But um, that's it. It's just it's coming up, and it's a moment. It's well, uh, thank you. All right, we now we have the heads up. In Barrow, Alaska, they're going to see the sun for an hour a day on January nineteenth, and that's a wonderful thing. Better than not seeing the sun at all. Sandra in New Jersey, you are up on WABC. It's our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. How are you, Sandra? I'm doing well, thank you. You sound so much better, Bo. I got to tell you, I'm so happy about that. I, I want. Thank you much. Oh, you're welcome. I wanted to share my reaction to that speech, which was so vicious last night. I don't care who wrote it. It was said. And I want to say a couple of things about the speech. Number one, <laughs> there was a time when um, Biden compared himself to FDR, and Mark Levin quickly said, no, he's more like Herbert Hoover. Now, this time, he's comparing himself to Washington. I don't remember Washington staying in his basement to get elected. I don't remember Washington taking vacations like three-quarters of his tenure to, to do his job. They're so not alike. So that, to me, is delusional. Then I wanted to say that do you remember – now, he called Donald Trump a loser more than once in the speech. Do you remember when um, Obama was doing a roast, and, and I think he heard maybe that Donald Trump might be running for president, and he made a joke about it? Well, that's when Donald Trump decided to run for president because he doesn't like being called names like that, like a loser. or That's what happened the last time, so that's what's going to happen this time. You're talking about the White House Correspondence Dinner when Obama was in office. And he cracked a joke at Donald Trump's expense, et cetera. And yes, okay. Right. So he didn't take that too lightly, and he said, yeah, I'll show him, and he ran for president, and he won. So now Biden's calling him a loser? Well, let me tell you something. Maybe his, and you know what? His response was tepid, but I think that was calculated and smart, because he's not going to fall into his trap of name-calling him and, and going low like he did. I don't appreciate him gleefully saying that he had 1,200 people charged, 900 convicted, and in total 840 years in prison. That's mean what he was saying. And I don't, I, I, and I don't appreciate uh, how he picked on Donald Trump when he had the star-spangled banner sung by a prison choir. That, to me, was beautiful. And he knocked that. I mean, this speech, to me, was the pitch. Well, Joe Biden also said that uh, he tried to do this whole thing what they're doing. Trump talks about the blood of America being poisoned, echoing the same exact language used in Nazi Germany, he says. He proudly posts on social media the words that best describe his 2024 campaign, revenge, power, dictatorship. Now, that, by the way, is a total, um, it, it is not factual. Um, and he also talked about, in his speech last night, he says that the defense protection and preservation of American democracy will remain, as it has been, the central cause of his presidency. Well, if that is the central cause of his presidency, he's doing a horrid job at it. I don't understand how he can claim to at all protect this nation or national security with these porous open borders, six million illegal entries into this country, at least during his tenure. The preservation of American democracy, as his administration 
every day announces new regulations designed to strip Americans of their freedoms, of their lifestyle. Over the Christmas holidays, they came out with a bunch more. They're going to attack more American appliances. They don't think your appliances are efficient enough because of their bent knee to the global warming activists. So they want to, again, they want to take away your gas appliances. They want to take away and strip down things that in your lifestyle, they want to mandate electric car use. Never mind all the other lies that this administration has been telling you about how wonderful the economy is. And to that people, all they have to do is go shopping. And everything that Joe Biden says about the economy will be disproved. You don't need me to tell you. All you have to do, go shopping. See how much you're spending now compared to how much you spent when Donald Trump was in office. So there is a lot about this speech. Sandra says it was a hateful speech, and, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing. It was mean-spirited. Was the word. Yes, it was. But this is the same. He's doing 2016 again. He's the only one that can save democracy. Well, he's not doing such a good job. By the way, we're, we are a republic. We're not a democracy. We are a republic. And there's a difference. Anyway, WABC, Talk Radio 77. Thank you, Sandra. Ralph in New Rochelle, you're up next. Good morning, Hello, Mr. Ralph. Bolden. Good I'm morning. Gonna be, I'm going to be 70 years old this year. And I grew up in the 60s and 70s with all the civil rights movements and everybody trying to be equal and square everything up. At what point did this all go wrong? I mean, why are we so divided, this country, along race again? Huh. Well, I mean, I, there's I, an answer. I, I, there's an answer to that question that a lot of people don't want to hear. Why are we so divided on race again? You would have to examine the policies that came into being when Barack Hussein Obama became president of the United States. And despite all of this talk, look, this is I, I have said this in speeches that I've made. If Barack Obama had governed like he ran, if he had actually governed like he ran for office, with hope and with optimism, Republicans wouldn't be elected ever again. Because when he ran, he ran on the position of, yes, we can do great things as a nation. His entire presidency was about dividing this country along racial lines again. And we are seeing the impact of that in so many different ways. Coming up in the next hour, the Princess of Policy, Diana Mee, will join us. Coming up in the next hour, America's small caffeinated mom, Rhonda Schrock, will join us. Coming up in the next hour, your telephone calls will join us. 800-848-WABC is the number to reach us. It is Saturday morning. This is the Saturday Morning Radio Extravaganza here on WABC. Our number duo in the can, our number trio coming up next. Keep it right here. Noam Laden. 
WABC News brings us up to speed. WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. And my friends, we are in our number trio of our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. The lines are full, but when we begin taking calls, if you want to be part of the program, 800-848-WABC is the number to call, 800-848-9222. We are going to do something a little bit different, usually. We wait till the first break, but no, this is the first week of the new year, and so... It's time for a Radio Royalty with James Golden and America's Princess of Policy, Princess Di. Because the crown is going off, and the only place you'll be able to find real royalty is right here with this woman. <laughs> the most brilliant woman in America. Oh. Oh, what do you mean? Oh, it's true. <laughs> no. She's beautiful. She's intelligent. She probably has corgis running around the house, too. Hear <laughs> no. yeah, that half Brit Nick? I don't know whether she drinks tea or not. She used to drink coffee. No, she used to drink Diet Coke like it was going out of style back in the day. But uh, No more. No more. No more. <laughs> it's, it's coffee. And it's our own Princess Di. Your Majesty, so good to hear your voice. How are you? I am good, and you are sounding much better, Sir James. I am very happy to hear you're recovering, at least slightly, from this past week. You really were sounding under the weather, so I'm glad you're sounding I was better. under the weather. Well, thank you. Yeah, my voice is starting to come back. My ears, no. And you know what, Diana? This is it's like not being able to hear properly. I, Rush did the show completely deaf. Unbelievable. And I, at the time, kept saying I didn't believe some of the things he was able to accomplish. Now, actually understanding what it means to even lose a portion of your hearing, I have no idea how he was able to do what he did. Miraculous. Absolutely. Yeah. Amazing. And do you do you know? I thought about this too. You know, Rush did the show, being totally deaf, for longer than he did the show when he had hearing. Really? Oh my goodness! I never thought about that. Do you remember the year he lost his hearing? Yeah, it was two thousand and one. Oh, my when his hearing completely left, and he did that show. For 20 of the 33 years, he did that show deaf longer than he did the show when he was able to hear. Unbelievable. And then so many things, as you know, as a radio professional, you have to be able to hear in order to respond at the right times with breaks and all that. It's just essential to have that sense. And with his cochlear implant, he was able to get some of that. Yes, but not completely. And he used to describe it as hearing everybody like in Donald Duck voices. Right. That's what he described what the experience was like. 
And yet he still enjoyed listening to music. And what he said was his mind remembered the music. And so what he couldn't hear, his mind filled in the rest. It was, to me, it's just more, when I think about it, it's, you know, we're coming up on his birthday on on, uh, January 12th, and then three years, February 17th. It's just, it's just so profound what he was able to do. And so many of us miss him every day. Every single day. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let me ask you a question because let's talk about, um, I, I, first of all, I, you mentioned something about Stacy. Stacy, are you talking about the governor of Georgia? <laughs> In her mind, Stacey Abrams is still the governor of Georgia because she never lost, even though the numbers said different. Yeah, she was an election denier. Yes, and she challenged the election, and nobody put her in jail, unbelievably. But hmm. she is Franny, does, does, Franny, does Franny Willis know that that happened? <laughs> I'm sure they are bosom buddies. <laughs> oh, okay. That's a terrible image. But I wanted to say, um, for one reason, uh, that this there is a new uh, verdict on a lawsuit that Stacey Abrams brought against True the Vote, the uh, Catherine Engelbrecht group, which has been really essential and working away on election integrity for years and really was responsible for the information, the data on the mules that the movie was made from on geolocation and has been really wonderful in working lawsuits in defending her group's organization. And this week, she, her group, uh, Engel. Engelbrecht's group, True the Vote, won a resounding victory in court that uh, she defended her group because Stacey Abrams' group sued her and claimed that she had intimidated voters because they had challenged 250,000 Georgia votes. This was before the runoff. And they had found all kinds of problems, bad addresses, dead people, all of that, 250,000 votes, which, of course, would have changed the the outcome of that election of the senatorial runoff. And so um, Stacey Abrams' group, which is called Fair Fight uh, Action, sued Catherine's group. And this week, the judge came down fully on the side of true the vote. And Stacey Abrams, even though she had the Justice Department and Mark Elias, all of the lawfare team on their side, they did not win. And so it has now been reasserted that challenging votes is legal in Georgia, which I am thinking will help uh, Trump when he is uh, set to go to trial in that state. But one of the reasons I wanted to mention that, because one of the biggest temptations on our side is to be all gloom and doom. What's the use? The left controls everything. They control the vote. What difference does it make? I am so tired of hearing defeatism from our side as we gear up for the 20th this year's election in November that I wanted to put on the record 
they don't always win. And they don't always win resoundingly. And we have to remember that because that is the the enemies of our soul's biggest temptation is to to give up and to preemptively surrender before we fight. And one of the things that uh, was said by um, uh, Stacey Abrams' vote, after they lost, her group said, the courts do not consistently provide the vindication and protection we seek. In other words, sometimes we lose. And it makes them mad. (laughs) And it's something that we have to remember. Sometimes their side loses and loses big. And they do not have the biggest power we have. And that is the power of prayer and trusting in God. As I always say, those are the four words that can save America. It's our national motto. And no one can ever stop us from saying it. In God we trust. So I just wanted to put on the record, there's been some good court wins, and that is one of them, as well as the Supreme Court uh, the other day uh, agreeing to take the voter, the ballot in um, in uh, Colorado. Colorado, yes. Off the ballot and in Maine. Well, he wasn't really taken off the ballot. They, they found he was uh, liable under the 14th Amendment, but they stayed their own ruling, and the same in May. But the Supreme Court... 34 states have actually uh, formally challenged Trump's ability to be on the ballot. So the Supreme Court is taking that case, which is wonderful. They're going to hear arguments quickly on February 8th, and the uh, we're hoping on our side will be decided before Super Tuesday on March 5th. So that that is another piece of good news. I think even the left expects the Supreme Court to resoundingly reject all of these ballot challenges. And I can tell you how right you are. All you have to read is Jennifer Rubin today, who's off on a tear about how the partisan Supreme Court is going to rule for Trump, even though Trump doesn't have a case. So they, yes, they are, they, they know how this is going to turn out or how it should turn out is what I should say. They go to plan B so that that allows them again to put the Supreme Court uh, as their target. They have been working both angles. They are hoping for a win, but they also have the political uh, talking point available to them so that they can just come out and basically do their usual. Their, you know, we need to increase the number of judges. We need to be able to challenge judges. We need, you know, that kind of thing. So they they win either way in the narrative business in their mind. I don't think it's going to work. I think that, you know, it's one of those distractions that um, they're trying to keep Trump's focus busy on uh, court cases so he can com- campaign. On the other hand, you look at the numbers and it's backfiring big time because uh, Biden is behind on all of the most recent national polls. All right, let's turn the page for a minute and talk Harvard and Claudine Gay. <laughs> I <laughs> really here, 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 Diana, number one, first thing, I remember very clearly the first time I heard the initials DEI was when you raised it to me and said, James, this is something that you would better put on your radar. Right. This this move for diversity and whatever it is, an inclusion, blah, blah, blah. Equity. Equity, diversion, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it appears now that one of the things that the left is talking about in the wake of Claudine Gay 
being forced to retire by the Harvard Governing Board, not by uh, conservatives, as they claim. Um, It was the left that told her, hey, do you see a path forward for you? This was after the latest 40 allegations of plagiarism were piled on top of the ones that had already been brought to the public. Now, I have been reading stories all week that Claudine Gay had a quote-unquote thin resume. She was not a published, uh, she's written those books on in her subject area. She had very few academic uh, pieces that were written, and apparently that's very important in the world of academia. Uh, she had no real, qual- and then what she did write, then you have this collection of, 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 of allegations that she committed plagiarism in them. Although Harvard said, yes, duplicate language was found. They never used the word plagiarism, but that's what they were saying. Yeah, we found plagiarism. That wasn't, she didn't attribute it to the right people. So here's my question to you. Diana, to me, the the, the story to me is more important to me to frame this as excellence. It is about excellence. It's not about race. This woman was not excellent at what she did. No one has ever, for instance, accused Dr. Sowell of plagiarism. He's a premier academia. You can go through, and it doesn't matter right or left, you can go through any number of people who have risen in the world of academia that are excellent at what they do. They would never have these charges leveled against them. She had, quote-unquote, thin qualifications. I get so sick and tired of this racial having to defend when they say it's racist, it is not racist when someone doesn't have the merit to be in the position in the first place. This isn't about race. This is about merit. And this is about what is your merit as a leader. And I don't hear the argument being framed that way. Well, I I have seen the argument framed this way. There's been a lot of celebrations uh, after uh, Claudine Gay resigned about the potential reestablishment of the meritocracy, which is the operating system traditionally in America that has been under attack by DEI, critical race theory, which changes the standards. And so, it, I mean, you read the headlines, they have gotten so absurd, you know, showing up to work on time is white supremacy, uh, alarm clocks are right, white supremacy, all of the, you know, usual civilized behavior that applies to everybody here has, has now been reframed in your term to basically be something we can throw out the window. And that started in academia. That started 
Harvard is the temple of where all of these ideas first grab hold. It's all from basically an anti-American and pro-socialism standpoint, and it's a, it's a means of attack on the strength of the American dream, which has been you work hard, you play by the rules, and you can get ahead and you can provide a good uh, life for your family. And so this was uh, one of the reasons that communism didn't take hold in America when it was taking hold everywhere else in the world is because we had a growing middle class where people stayed true to to the rules and obeying the law and could could actually protect their family and provide for their family. And that was seen by the left as an obstacle. So how do we get rid of the strong middle class that has succeeded in, in moving up? And then this is how you change the standards. You get rid of the meritocracy. And so it doesn't matter if you're the best qualified. It doesn't matter if you do well or you work hard. And from the new standpoint is, is it, are you diverse? Are you providing equity, which is equal outcomes? And, you know, are you basically inclusive, which is inclusive of everyone who looks differently but thinks alike? And so this has been a first and important change of direction in academia by having Claudine herself be held to the old standards, as you say, merit. And, and she, she failed on that. Now, I wanted to say one thing. Uh, I disagree a little bit with your dismissal that it was conservatives who who were responsible for a lot of what happened. And I want to point to Politico, uh, who, who had an article this week. We sat down with the conservative mastermind behind Claudine Gay's ouster. The conservative mastermind, in their view, is Christopher Rufo, R-U-F-O. And the interesting thing about Christopher Rufo, who has been working very hard attacking critical race theory for years, is that he is claiming credit as well. And he did something very interesting. He said, while he was doing it, this is what I'm gonna do, this is how I'm gonna take her down, and this is why. As it was happening, he laid out the strategy. It's a three-point strategy. You affect the narrative and the reputation of the person, you affect the finances, and then you affect it politically. And he used all three with his allies in, in actually succeeding in taking down the primo person in that world of DEI, which was the president of Harvard. And so he has since, and, and this is the thing, a lot of people on our side are like, oh, you shouldn't brag about it. Oh, you shouldn't say out loud what your strategy is. But he said, this is what I want other people to take boldness from and to also do. We are using their own standards against the people who are being so damaging to this country. And so he mentioned Target, he mentioned Bud Light, he mentioned a few other successful uh, campaigns on conservatives' uh, behalf, and that is something he wants us all to read how it was done and to do more of. 
And so I think it's really important. He has written, Christopher Rufo has written on his own Substack, and he had an editorial in the Wall Street Journal, I'll send you the link, which is worth reading, where he lays it all out, how this happened, and these are the steps. He also worked with, as you remember, there was a guy who, Ackerman, who said, I'm going to pull a billion dollars of funding, Ackman, A-C-K-M-A-N, out of Harvard. So that was the financial piece. He tweeted last night, Bill Ackman did, that his wife now is under attack. Uh, it is being claimed by um, Business Insider that they are looking through her academic papers. And so Bill Ackman is being accused of um, plagiarism, which is not true. Is that fine? He says, I'm going after MIT now. And Sally Kornbluth, who was the other, the third member uh, at the congressional at the congressional hearings, yeah. Yes, there's two down. It's the um, UPenn. uh, Liz Miguel was the first one. She resigned right away. Now it's Claudine Gay, and the third one, who's probably nervous now because the eyes of all of the conservatives who have taken out successfully two presidents is on her now. She is MIT president, which is less than a mile away from Harvard. And so now they have attacked the Business Insider, which is the left. They're coming after Bill Ackman, the the financial donor to Harvard, who was threatening to pull his billion dollars. So Business Insider is coming after his family. And so he he announced last night he's going after MIT's president on the same grounds of plagiarism. So it's a war. This is a wonderful cultural battle that needs to be fought, and we are winning. And so I am so happy to be able to say that, and I think we should study the strategy of the people involved and emulate them. Keep Stay right there, Princess Di, and I'm going to explain to you why I have a different point of view on it when I get back. But And then I want to talk about Jan 6 with the time we have left. So don't go away. Princess Di is with us. Bo Snurley, James Golden here on WABC. Stay right where you are. She helped me with my suitcase She stands before my eyes The Saturday Morning Radio Extravaganza Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly On 77 WABC Ah, yes, and Princess Di is with us here on WABC Talk Radio 77 your Majesty, I tell you what, I'm, you just sent me the uh, article. I'm going to read that, uh, the, the Wall Street Journal article. Thank goodness I'm a subscriber. Um, uh, so I'm going to read that. And um, before I, I talk any more and open my mouth about this, because what you were saying there is pretty powerful. Let me instead flip the page and ask you about America's darkest day, the day that we are living now, the <laughs> darkest day, January 6th. America in darkness and democracy dies in darkness. Um, yeah. According to the uh, Washington, the Amazon Prime Washington Post, three years later, uh, we must all beware of the dangerous revisionism that is taking place. And that that revisionism is that only 62% of people say that Joe Biden's victory was legitimate. That's down from 69% two years ago and far lower than the election. And, and now people 
Um, I actually believe one-third of U.S. adults say they are solid evidence of widespread voter fraud. And again, so all of this is, um, and Republicans are disproportionate in their beliefs to this stuff, and we're all revising January 6th. And, I, and these people, to me, couldn't be more wrong. We, we're not revising it. We're, this is what we've always believed. We've always seen through this business. As I said to you, I, I have always suggested that those people that committed vandalism and that went in and did things, yeah, they should be punished. But overall, the majority of people there did not do anything. And that is a fact. That doesn't need to be revised. All you have to do is go back and look at what happened on that date. And the large majority of people who came to D.C. were not involved. If you go back further on January 6th and you look at the problems with the election, we are asked to deny what we know was that there were problems with the election. There were problems. So I don't know what these people are talking about in terms of revisionists, and I'm certainly not one of these people that goes along with this notion that the republic is in danger because of January 6th. As I've said, and I said this yesterday, these people care more about themselves. You look at what actually happened on that date. Murder and mayhem are part of everyday life in America, in every city. And yet, it, when it comes to the Capitol, these people are going on and on. They've invested more energy in tracking down everybody that was at that Capitol than they do the criminals in your neighborhood that will attack you, attack your family. They care more about themselves and their lives than they do about the people that they're supposed to represent. I am not going to be upset about January 6th, while these people have unleashed lawlessness and hell in this country, have the borders undefended, and we're supposed to all forget about that and kiss their behinds because they felt threatened on January 6th when they're threatening the entire damn country every single day. Excuse me. Here, here. Absolutely. Well, you know, what happened was the temple of democracy was breached, if you remember. That was the thing. They could not believe that their sanctuary, which they elevate above the rest of the country in their own minds, had to deal with, in my opinion, a riot that got out of hand. It was, in my opinion, a crowd control problem. I said this early on when I was talking to you once. And I personally do not appreciate it when people, I'm not saying you do this, but they, they tip their hand and they give away to the opposition talking points and say, well, you know, I, I think that bad things happened or it was a bad day or it was a whatever. I think it was a normal protest, and you and I have seen uh, whatever some of these protests in the halls of Congress with Crowd Pink or whatever that group is, and they disrupt all kinds of proceedings. There's takeovers of, you know, Capitol buildings all over the place by the left. Nothing ever happens. If there was just one this week. Diana, they stopped legisl yes, yes. they they stopped legislation from I think it was Wisconsin. A group of yes. these pro Hamas people stopped yep. the legislative action. They took over the Capitol, and not a damn thing happened out there to them. And it happens all the time, which is why when I was watching live, what happened on um, January sixth, the I darkest was day. 
because because I kept saying, well, where's security? These people were walking through, you know, staying in the rope lines, uh, walking through Congress. And I was like, well, security would ordinarily stop these people. And so all of the things we've learned since has proven to me beyond a shadow of a doubt that the entire thing was a setup and that they deliberately you know, stood down, and then there were people in the crowd who were feds, basically. Now, I know that it goes into conspiracy stuff that you probably don't want to go to, but I really think that this has been, you know, seen through by the American people, and this was a protest, and one of the points from the left was so that we never, ever, ever are comfortable again uh, gathering together to redress grievances, which is our constitutional right. And so now, you know, they take away the vote, they take away the protest, and what what else can the right do, conservatives do, uh, to express our opinion? And I think that that is why they want that you know, that feeling on our side to say, what's the use, what's the point, and for us to give up. And we can't. We have to fight for this country. Amen to that. Well, Your Majesty, thank you for spending so much time with us. I wanted to be able to flesh out these issues with you, and thank you, Your Majesty, for helping me get through the darkest day in American history. James, anytime. And I hope you continue to. I will pray for your recovery and for your hearing. Well, thank, oh, by the way, I have to ask you. Uh, I have to ask you the Nikki Haley question. Did you have any black friends when you grew up? <laughs> I did. I had. I had many friends of all. I lived in white. Okay. 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 What caused the Civil War? Okay. Okay. What caused the Civil War, Princess Di? What was the reason for the Civil War? Why was the Civil War caused? Slavery. Oh. Ah. Wow. Oh, you said it. Oh, okay. Damn it! I had uh, just for the record, Princess Di. I had black friends too when I grew up. Just so, so you know. Okay, run for president then. <laughs> Thank I'd you. I vote for you. And I might even ask: Do you know that Nikki Haley today actually said that she might? She's open to having Ron DeSantis as her vice president. And she also wouldn't rule out pardoning Hunter Biden. <laughs> I don't know who her constituents are. Can you, can you pick any group in the Republican Party who is all in for Nikki Haley yeah. other than so, the establishment in Washington of, you know, 500 people? I'm talking so about Nunu voters. and Chris Christie. No, voters. Regular voters. Voters. Regular. Oh, voters. No. No. But she had black friends. So, I mean, Okay. Thank you, Princess Di. Anytime. And it's so wonderful to talk to you, Sir James. <laughs> WABC Talk Radio 77. Your phone calls are coming up immediately when we get back from the break. And then later on, America's small caffeinated mom joins us. Chicago takes us in on WABC, the Saturday morning radio extravaganza.
The Saturday Morning Radio Extravaganza. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. 1944, Van McCoy was born on this day. Singer-producer. 1975, this was the big one. The Hustle. Do it. Do it. Do it. Yeah, do the hustle, baby. He died young. He was 38 years old when he passed away, uh, 1979. the hustle. Uh, let's hustle on to the telephones and hit up Jake in Pittsburgh. Jake, how are you? Welcome to the Saturday Morning Radio Extravaganza. Hello, Jake. Hi, Jake. Can you hear me? I do. Love the princess. Me too. And, uh, yeah, on this darkest of days. Yes, the dark day. January sixth. Yeah, we yeah we we gotta in, we gotta invoke the the spirit and soul of um, Catherine's husband, and you already have uh, earlier, and um, yeah, it's not time to panic. Uh, One of the last things that Rush said when he was last asked about that. Rush, is it time to panic? The last time he was asked about that on his show, and I remind people this a lot, and I hope you haven't heard it too much. He said, it is never time to panic. We can never, ever Amen. give up on America. Amen. Yep. Amen, brother. Give Catherine my best. Well, thank you, Jake. Wow. I so appreciate that. And, you know, again, Rush's birthday is coming up on January 12th. And uh, the anniversary of his death is coming up, too, on February 17th. And we'll be remembering Rush. We remember, I remember him every day, but we'll be remembering him on the show, especially on those days. So, uh, Jake, thank you for holding on. And, yes, we, we will invoke the memory of Maharishi. Thank you. We appreciate right. it. Viviana in Brooklyn, New York, you're up next. How are you? God bless you, my brother. Tremendously and trusting in God. Um, I wanted to honor the January 6th Patriots and Heroes. It is their darkest day because they're still imprisoned for political reasons. And there's this tremendous um, uh, documentary on Frank's speech, Let My People Go. Um, we have a man of faith, Professor David Clemens, that teamed up with Mike Lindell, and they expose what happened to the January Sixers, and in between, they also expose the mechanics of how the 2020 election was stolen. And these All right. people did. Viviano, the only reason I'm cutting you off now because we got to take a break because we have to get to. America's small caffeinated mom, and then time's going to be up. But I wanted you to have your say, and uh, let us head to that break. Coming back, we will have America's small caffeinated mom, Ron Schrock, joining us, and we'll try to get two more calls, provided we have time. We'll do our best. 
WABC Talk Radio 77. Oh, this is Ike. Isaac Hayes takes us in. Never can say goodbye. This is from the Black Moses album. Coming back in a moment. Do not go away. This is the Saturday Morning Radio Extravaganza. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. Half Brit Nick working music today on WABC, the Saturday Morning Radio Extravaganza. Let us check in with America's small caffeinated mom, Rhonda Schrock. Rhonda, Happy New Year to you, to Grant, to the family. How are you? Well, we're doing good. Uh, I think the dust is just starting to settle after Christmas 2023. We just made the last airport drop-off, and we've taken down the tree already. So things are starting to uh, return to normal here, whatever that whatever that is. <laughs> wow. This means you get a break from your kitchen chores and all that good stuff? Oh, my goodness. Their teeth were busy for two weeks, I can tell you that. When my brother was going through his food furnace, uh, adolescent food furnace phase, my father said to him one day, you get hungry eating. And (laughs) (laughs) So if you have raised boys or you have been a boy, you will feel that one deep, like they say right now. You will know the truth of that. So. They they put me to work, and it was really, I mean, it's a delight to do that for them. So, yes, it was a lot of fun. Good. So what is on your mind this week vis-a-vis your weekly essay? What is going on in the brain of America's small caffeinated mom? <laughs> What's going on in my brain? Well, the way my brain works is that I just, I find life lessons in the simple ordinary events or just things that are taking place around me. And this week's essay comes from uh, the Christmas tree, actually. The title is A Tale of Two Trees. As, as the week went on, the boys were here, we were busy, active here in the house, and all of a sudden we began to notice the, the strangest thing. We always, by the way, get a real tree. That's our tradition. We get a real tree. We go to the lot. We pick one out. And then, you know, every year my husband says something about artificial trees would be more convenient. And then I say, but they don't smell. And he says, but they don't shed. And it's about that time that we hit the lot. And that's all just part of the tradition. So anyway, we've got our live tree here in the corner. And this year it was especially beautiful. It was a little smaller than the ones we usually get, but it was just the symmetry, the color, everything was just beautiful. But there was not much of an aroma to it. Even the teenager would remark on it. He'd be on his way through the house up to the fridge, you know, and he'd say, the tree is extra nice this year. Yes, buddy, it really is. Well, toward the end of its tenure here, we all started noticing that tree is releasing the most beautiful fragrance. And you could smell it through much of the the house. It was still green. Uh, It was just an odd phenomenon. Well, when we took it down the other day, There was very little uh, mess to clean up. There were just hardly any dead needles that had come off of it, and it was still lovely. Well, I thought back to the tree of, I think it was the tree of 2020, 
when the boys had picked out an absolute monster of a tree, and we didn't even know how big it was until we got it home, took the net off, and the thing drove us into the next room. You know, we fight, fight through the branches to get to the table. It was huge, but it started to turn brown. I mean, quickly. There was no aroma. There was no fragrance. It, it lost its beauty, and by the time we were taking the decorations off, the slightest change in air currents or the slightest brush against it, it would just shed a cascade of needles. I thought about the difference in those two trees as they were dying. And I thought about life and death and the fact that it is how we live that determines how we will die. And probably as I'm speaking, you can think of names and faces, people that you have seen come to the end of life and their lives are still beautiful and green and fragrant and a delight to those around them, emitting just a beautiful fragrance of love, really. And when they depart, there's very little, if any, mess to clean up. You can also probably think of names and faces that were like my tree of 2020, who lived lives that were ugly and prickly and bristly. It actually hurt when we would brush up against that tree. And when that tree was gone, there was a huge mess to clean up. And I thought about it, how it's our choices throughout our lives that determine how we will finish. And I wanted to just speak to that. Uh, I wanted to bring a word of hope to those. If If you are under the sound of my voice today and you feel like my tree of 2020, you have time to change. If you're still alive, you can you can stop the old, you can start the new. You can make amends, you can ask forgiveness, you can offer forgiveness, you can start a new way of living and thinking and being. There is hope for you and there is hope for me. And it just made me think about how I want to live my life. How do I want to finish? We do not have to finish how we have started. We can change direction. But it was that beautiful, beautiful tree that taught me that lesson. And I just wanted to pass that on to our listeners. Well, that is a wonderful story. I love that. You come up with such gems, Rhonda. And that is a beautiful one. I really, really enjoy that. And thank you so much. You can find your essay at the Daily BS. I take it. Yes, DailyBS.com. Yes. So anyway, thank, thank you. you for being one of those green people, James. Thank well, you. Well, it's the first time someone's ever green. called me a green person, but thank you. I appreciate that. And, and yes, I mean it. Rhonda, your website where people can find you, please. Mm, RhondaSchrock.com. That's my little coffee shop in cyberspace. Thank you so much. Yep. Rhonda Schrock. Thank you, Rhonda. So appreciate you. What a great yeah. story. We're going to grab a few calls before we must leave here. Uh, thank you so much for waiting. Uh, let's go to a uh, Gail in Staten Island. Gail, you've been waiting. Thank you. A safe and blessed New Year to you, James. Six days in. The sitting president yesterday, I think he had his dates mixed up in his prepared speech. To me, the darkest day in our American history was his inauguration day, January 20th, 2021, when he started stripping and chipping away at our sovereign nation. What do you think, James? I think you have nailed it. I mean, look, he claims to be saving democracy. He is doing everything possible to wreck this republic, not just the economy of this republic, not just the long-term financial health of this republic, 
But the borders, the borders are basic to national security. And allowing 6 million illegal immigrants during his tenure is unforgivable. Gail, thank you. So appreciate you. Let us go to Russ. I think that's in White Plains. Russ, how are you? I'm fine, James, and I have to agree and disagree with the illustrious Princess Di, who was formerly of White Plains. I hate to disagree, but she mentioned meritocracy, and I want to ask, you know, first of all, I would like to say that Claudine Gate didn't retire, James. She's been redeployed in a corporate reorganization, and I think we're going to see her back. I'd like to disagree with her, though, about this being a meritocracy, because I'd like to ask, does Trump merit being president, or is he just the right fit? He merits being president. Look, Russ, I don't even know how this is debatable. We had four terms. We we had four years of Donald Trump. What happened? He shut down the traffic that was coming through the borders. He did amazing things with NATO, with China. Actually, we won a trade war with China. He backed off America's enemies. He also revived the American economy in record time to record levels. Right. Now, Donald Trump says a lot of things people don't like. But the thing is, he did a lot of things that benefited this nation. And and, and, and that's just a short list. You could go on about the deregulation and what that did for America's businesses. You could go on. Yeah, so he merited everything. He merited a second term based on his job performance. I I agree. I'm going to vote for him. But I think it's because he's the right fit. He's kind of thuggish, but he's necessary. And I think these court cases are about getting Trump's scalp. I just think there's nobody better as president. And he had four years to prove it. Claudine Gay had three months. And I have to agree that January 6th was a frame job. And so was a frame job getting Claudine Gay. And uh, five pages of Claude, stealing, like, five pages of stealing. Claudine like, Gay did it to herself. Look, look, if Claudine Gay had gone to Congress and simply answered the question when she was asked about anti-Semitic students, yep, we have it at Carver. It showed itself. It's intolerable. We're going to fix it. Instead, she started talking about context. Well, it depends on the context. When you start equivocating about evil, she did herself in. No one was even talking about her plagiarism until she botched up her own performance in Congress. But she did that. And look, I, I can't wait to read this article that Princess I sent me, which I'm going to read afterwards uh, from uh, Christopher Rufo in the Wall Street Journal, because I really do want to study that. Russ, let me give you the last word on this, because time is really running out. Again, I'm saying five pages of plagiarism like Biden isn't like taking research in duplicative language. Thanks very much, James. Thank you. And so far, she's had 50 allegations of plagiarism. 50. It's not a one-off. There is something seriously wrong with her. She defended her scholarship and kept talking about how rigorous her scholarship was. Is this If this is... Her idea of rigorous scholarship, that's case enough why she shouldn't be the president of Harvard. Oh, that's it for today. Oh, my friends, thank you so much for being here. May God bless and protect each and every single one of you, your family, 
your loved ones. I have so much love and gratitude for you being here with me and allowing me to be with you. God willing, come Monday, 4 p.m., back with Boston Early's Rush Hour on WABC Talk Radio 77. Remember to keep your spirits up on this, the darkest day in American history. Dark, 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 dark. It's dark.